The scripture is Isaiah 25, verses 1 through 9. Isaiah chapter 25, verses 1 through 9. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will give thanks to your name, for you have worked wonders. Plan formed long ago with perfect faithfulness, for you have made a city into a heap, a fortified city into a ruin. A palace of strangers is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, a strong people will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will revere you. For you have been a defense for the helpless, a defense for the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a rainstorm against a wall, like heat in drought you subdue the uproar of aliens. Like heat by the shadow of a cloud, the song of the ruthless is silenced. The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all the peoples on this mountain, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, and refined aged wine. And on this mountain he will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples, even the veil which is stretched over all nations. He will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces. And he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God, for whom we have waited that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Let us pray together. Father, we come today with much praise and thanksgiving in our hearts. We praise you, a great God, the creator God, the sustainer of this whole universe. You are a holy God, a righteous God. You are a God that is all-knowing, who has all power, You are glorious in all of your ways. And we come today to worship you and to acknowledge you that you are the one who has that has given vision to those who actually started Alberta Baptist Church. They prayed and you directed their hearts. And then you are the one that has enabled this church through the years to have an impact on East Tuscaloosa and other parts of Tuscaloosa County and even other parts outside of where we live here through the mission teams that have gone out to serve in many different ways, both in the states and those who have served overseas. Many ministers of the gospel have been called out from this church and those who would serve in other positions on church staffs. And Lord, you have used them to point others to Christ, to preach the word of God, to share the gospel, to 
minister and to help build your church in the locations where they served. We thank you for the impact this church has had in a worldwide perspective. Lord, we thank you for the people of this congregation today. I pray that ABC would have a vision like that, those early charter members. Not that we're building a new church plant right here on this property, but we are to have vision to see the fields that are white unto harvest and to see how you can use this church to minister to those around in this community, throughout the city, other places, and even the world, that we would have a vision to send out people who are called by you to go and serve in other, other countries, other states, go to the hard places in North America where there, is, there are a few churches and a great need of people to go and plant churches. So, Father, use Alberta in sending people out and also in praying for those already sent and giving through the missions ministry, Lord, of, our, of this church. We pray that you would use all of that to expand the gospel and expand the kingdom of God. And we know, God, that you're the one that we depend on to do that great work. I pray today for... Pastor KJ, thank you that you have brought him here to this church for this season in the life of Alberta. I pray, oh God, that he would be loved well by the people of Alberta and also that he would be, he, he would uh, have a, just an impactful ministry. Lord, that you would bless him, guide him. I pray that as he leads, that the people of this church would follow with that leadership. I pray that you would help them day by day as they work together as a pastor and a people to do great things that would bear much fruit for the kingdom of God. I pray for Brother KJ as he preaches the word today. I ask you, God, that you would speak through him, speak through your, by your spirit through this text that has been read. We pray that the message you have for us would be received in our hearts, in our lives, in our actions and change the way that we live. And I pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you, Brother Larry. Amen. Well, thank you, Brother Larry. And thank you all. Uh, like Pastor Larry, like Pastor Keith, and like most of us here, I have eaten quite a few meals in my time. I can look around the room and see that I'm in good company in eating quite a few meals. Uh, most of us have gotten a goodly number under our belts, haven't we? And I, could, I can make a joke at this point, but I'm not. Uh, but unlike most of us here, I have very few food memories. Very few food memories. This might make me a strange person, I don't know. But I can easily recall quotes from books that I read years ago. But if you asked me what I ate last week, I would draw a big blank. No memory at all. Perhaps retaining one thing kind of pushes out and leaves no room for the other. Or maybe we're all just wired to remember different things. I don't know. But while I don't have many 
food-related memories, I do have some. I remember very well, with just pure nostalgia, Granny's peach tarts. Biscuit dough, fried peaches in the middle. It is amazing. I will never forget. Granny, if you're watching, it, it was amazing. I will never forget that. I, I do have some food memories. I remember when we were first married. Uh, Lynn knows what I'm going to say right here. Lynn making peanut butter chicken. I didn't know those two things could be combined together. I'm the kind of guy who has a plate. It keeps everything separate and eats one thing at a time, rotating my plate sometimes. But combining things, I had no idea. Uh, there are meals that I remember because of scarcity. I spent a summer in Ukraine and on a, at a Ukrainian camp. And camp food in general is nothing to write home about. But camp food in a former Soviet bloc country is really nothing to write home about. I remember eating my bowl of borscht and then walking every other day to get a loaf of bread. I would eat half the loaf of bread one day, half the next day, and then go back again. Rinse and repeat. Uh, I remember those meals. Uh, there are meals I remember because of just how awful they were. Uh, in East Asia, I, I'm ashamed to say it, but I ate two domesticated animals. Animals that many here would consider friends <laughs> and part of the family. And I remember saying, thank you, but I've, I, I think I've had enough. <laughs> thank you for your hospitality. I'm, I'm tapping out. Uh, but then I remember my very first truly French meal. We, Lynn and I were on the, the border of Brittany and Normandy. There's a small tidal island called Mont Saint-Michel. It looks picturesque out there in the distance. We arrived late and had no other choice but to eat at the hotel we were staying. And we had a meal. The first course came. It was raw salmon. And I had never eaten anything raw, any meat raw before. And I said, okay, I think they know what they're doing. I'll give this a try. And it was not bad. It was good. Raw salmon on salad. The main course came. It was a piece of meat topped with several other types of meat. And the flavors somehow worked together and complemented one another. I had no idea that was possible. And then the dessert came, and it was a sample tray of all the desserts they had. And man, I remember that meal. I think we paid more for our meal that night than we did for our room in that hotel. <laughs> but it was worth it because I still remember that meal to this day. And that's a very rare thing for me. But I'm okay. Generally, I'm okay with my food forgetfulness for this reason. All the meals that I can't remember have sustained me still. They sustain me to this day. All the meals I can't remember have still sustained me to this day. Think about that. Because if you think about it, it will point you to a bigger truth. All the meals you can't remember have still sustained you. How many sermons do you remember? How many Sunday school lessons? How many daily Bible readings do you remember? I bet, I'm pretty sure, the vast majority you couldn't recall right now no matter how hard you tried, you couldn't recall. And yet, by them, you were sustained. 
you received the food you needed for the day. Like all those meals you've forgotten, they still did the work of nourishing you, of growing you, of bringing you to this day faithful and in the faith. Friends, as Alberta Baptist Church celebrates our 100th anniversary this year, we are not able to remember today so very, very much of what the Lord has done. We're not able to remember it. How many Jesus-exalting sermons have been preached right here? How many lives changed forever? How many heartfelt prayers have been poured out before God? How many acts of generosity and self-sacrifice have occurred here over the last hundred years? Like our memory of the meals we've eaten, we can only recount a small handful of them. And yet, they all served to bring us to this point today. All of them. Our memories are short and limited, but we serve a God who remembers everything. He remembers them all. Who remembers all the past that we've forgotten. We serve a God who holds our present in his hand. And we serve a God who promises us that the best is yet to come. The best, most memorable meal you will have ever eaten is yet to come. We see all these things, past, present, future, coming together in a beautiful way in Isaiah chapter 25. Look with me again at Isaiah chapter 25. Look at verse 1. O Lord... You are my God. First thing I want you to see is that the Lord is the God of our presence. Oh, Lord, you are my God. Right now, you are my God in this present moment. Friends, the the past is gone. Hopefully you realize that. The past is gone. You can never get it back. You can't change anything about it. And once it's gone, you may even have trouble recalling with clarity what it was that has passed. You can't do anything about the past, but you do have the present. You always have the present. All you have is the present. This present moment is the time to call out to God and say, Oh, Lord, you are my God. You are my God. Jesus, you are my King. You are my Savior. Whatever the past has been, however good, however bad, in this moment, say, I want you, my God. I want you to be my God, my first and best thought, my heart's ultimate allegiance, my source of joy and satisfaction in life. Whether you look back on the past full of good works or you look back on a past full of regret for repeated failures, the more relevant and important question is this. What about now? 
What about this present moment? Are you trusting in the Lord now? Is your heart loving Jesus today? By faith, are you clinging to God in this present moment? The past is gone. You can't trust in your past performance or be weighed down by your past sin and failures. The question is, are you trusting in Christ today? Are you trusting in the performance of another today? That's the vital question. Are you trusting in Jesus and his performance for you today? Are you seeking to follow him today? Are you loving him and loving others today? Are you rejoicing and resting in him today? In this moment, is your heart saying, O oh Lord, you are my God. You are my God. If the present is all that we have as individuals, and it is, it is also all that we have together as a church. We as a church cannot put our trust in our past performance, however good it was. Likewise, we cannot be defined by our past mistakes, however bad they were. What matters most as a church is this present moment. Are we serving Jesus wholeheartedly today? Are we trusting him unreservedly today? Are we seeking his glory completely today, or are we coasting on past successes? Are we letting our past failures define us? We are called as individuals and as a church family to cling to God in this present moment, saying, O oh Lord, you are my God. Is your heart saying that this morning? We know that we're laying hold of God in this present moment when these actions start happening. Look with me again, verse 1. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will give thanks to your name. Let me ask you, ABC, in this present moment, are you grateful? Are you grateful? Are you grateful for grace? Are you grateful for God's faithfulness? Are you exalting Jesus for his gentle care, for his long-suffering with you as a sinner saved by grace? Test yourself in this moment because this present moment is all you have to do these things. Right now is the only moment you can affect and change. If you're struggling to exalt Christ in the present, tell your heart something. Tell your heart to look at the past. Look at the past. The present is when we trust God. Does your heart naturally fly to God? Ask yourself, does your heart naturally fly to God as your Father and to Jesus as your strong Savior? You'll see this in verse 1. O oh Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will give thanks to your name for, look at the past, you have worked wonders. Plans formed long ago with perfect 
faithfulness. The God of our present is also the God of our past. Forming plans in perfect faithfulness. And what do those perfectly faithful plans include? Want to take a guess? They include destruction and hard times. Look again. Verse 1. For you have worked wonders, plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. And what do those plans look like? Verse 2. For you made a city into a heap, a fortified city into a ruin. A palace of strangers is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. God's plans, formed long ago in perfect faithfulness, include many surprising twists. Things we would not have planned ourselves. God's plans include destruction, verse 2. The destruction of cities, the destruction of buildings. Alberta City, Alberta Baptist Church, we know both things to be true, don't we? Part of the 100-year history of this church includes destruction. Destruction of this building in 2012 as the tornado came through and destroyed a lot of Alberta City. The ruin of this building is what led ABC to start sharing a building with Open Door Baptist Church. My family, as well as many of you, were grafted in to this faith family through God turning this building into a heap. And the building you see right now, God had built through many means debt-free. And we rejoice in his provision. There, these are God's plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. Not as we would have planned it, but things performed in perfect faithfulness. God's perfectly faithful plans have often included hardships and adversities for his church. Just look at the book of Acts. The book of Acts is like one long tale of God moving and working through persecution, through hard things. God's perfect plans have often included some hard and lean times for his church. ABC has known the truth of that, haven't we? We've known some hard times of late. But if the past hard times are part of God's plan, formed long ago in perfect faithfulness, then God also has redemptive purposes for all these things. He has redemptive purposes. And here is one of them, verse 3. Therefore, a strong people will glorify you. Cities of the ruthless nations will revere you. God is often trying to teach us something through the hard things, through hard things throughout our history. He is teaching the strong, or those who think they're strong, that they are really not. We're really not. You didn't build this, God says. You didn't build this. It's not by your might, your power, but by my spirit. You didn't build this. I did. And just to prove it to you, let me knock it down a little. And in so doing, I'll knock you down a peg or two in humility. God knows that it's the 
humble heart that gives him the most glory. Right? You know that. It's the humble heart. It's the humble who truly revere the greatness of God, not the proud, not the arrogant, not the strong. It's the humble. God has a plan to humble the strong. He does it through the hard things in verse 2, but he also does it through the tenderness he shows in verse 4. Look at verse 4. For you have been a defense for the helpless, a defense for the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. The strong are humbled by seeing their cities and their plans crumble, but also they're humbled by seeing God's care for the weak and the defenseless. I'm sure there's been a lot of times in ABC's 100 years that we've needed a bit of humbling. Because I I know that's true in my 38 years. (laughs) There's many times I've needed a bit of humbling. But there there have also been many times as a church that we have stood out as a defense for the helpless and needy. Like a refuge in the storm. Like a shade in the heat. Why? Why have we done that? Because that is who our Father is. That's who He is. That is how our Savior has dealt with us. Jesus is our defense. He is our refuge. He is our shade. He has subdued all of our soul's enemies and silenced our accusers. Verse 5. That's what we see happening. And all evil... Christ will ultimately overcome. He will do away with it forever. And on that day, when all is said and done, he promises us a victory meal. A victory meal, the likes of which we will never forget. Look at verse 6. The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, and refined aged wine. Of all the things God could promise us in the end, he picks this one, a meal, a banquet. Why? Why this? Perhaps it's a fitting bookend to history. The history of human conflict and sin began with a meal, didn't it? A meal acquired against God's command, you shall not eat. Mankind's rebellion began with food, and it's probably not by coincidence that our repentance of sin and turning back to God is also expressed through food. We're going to share the Lord's table this this morning. The Lord's Supper is a meal we take as an act of obedience. And it is an act of remembrance for what Jesus did to restore us back to God. Our conflict with God began through food. And the end of conflict is celebrated with food. With a meal. So, perhaps, God has given us poetic bookends to history. A celebratory meal to mark the end of sin's unrightful dominion over us and the return of God's rightful king. 
that's worthy of a celebration. That's worthy of a party, of a meal. But I think there's another reason. There's another reason. Why are God's promises summed up in a meal? I think it's because of this. Because sharing a meal is the ultimate expression of fellowship. The ultimate expression of fellowship. I've interacted with a lot of people from a lot of cultures. Our church in Paris had 35 plus different nationalities in it. And there are huge cultural, cultural differences between people. Sometimes the very opposite things are, are cultural values. There are huge cultural differences, but at least one assumption was always held in common. And it was this. Sharing a meal is the ultimate expression of friendship and fellowship. Here in Isaiah, God promises us a fellowship meal. A fellowship meal full of the best things. A banquet of aged wine, of choice pieces with marrow, of refined aged wine. The wine must be very good for God to mention it twice here. It must be pretty good. Now, I've realized this about myself. If living in France couldn't make me a wine drinker, there's probably not anything on this side of glory that will. And I'm fine with that. My wallet is fine with that as well. But I anticipate being happily converted one day. This wine, God says, is aged, refined, and free. <laughs> free. I can get behind that. Free. Jesus said that he would not drink of the fruit of the vine again until he would drink it new with us in the kingdom of his Father. I can wait for that. I can wait knowing that the best food, the best drink you will ever have is yet to come. It is yet to come. And it gets better, verse 7. On this mountain, he will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples, even the veil which is stretched over all nations. The meal God promises us isn't just about ultimate fellowship with one another around the table. It's about ultimate fellowship with God. God is at this meal. God removes the barrier to our fellowship with him. He removes the covering over us that separated us. He pulls back the veil that hides his face from us. Now, all of creation has been transformed into the Holy of Holies. God's presence is with us. God has torn the veil himself and welcomed us into his presence to sit at his table. And the scene of that welcome looks like a victory feast. Because here is the final victory, the one we've all been longing to see. Verse 8, he will swallow up death for all time. On this day, God, at this meal, God will swallow up death for all time. Death has been the great enemy, the great separator. 
separating us from those whom we love. Death has been the great enemy. Death has been the real antagonist in every book, every film, every story. But Christ's empty tomb declares that death's days are numbered. Death will have its end. Where the naturalist thinks that life in the universe is ultimately doomed to extinction, all lights go out, the Christian says no. It's just the opposite. Death is ultimately doomed to extinction from the universe, not life. Death will die, and so will pain and sorrow and tears. Look at the rest of verse 8. He will swallow up death for all time, and the Lord will wipe tears away from all faces. Whatever reasons we had to weep during this life, God will take them all away in the next. He will wipe every tear from every face. We will all be like Sam Gamgee. Sam Gamgee, Lord of the Rings, at the end. You have to read the book to get this quote. (laughs) Uh, We'll all be like Sam waking up at the end of his quest, seeing Gandalf there. Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead. Is everything sad becoming untrue? Is everything sad becoming untrue? The Bible's answer to Sam's question is a resounding yes. Yes, it is. Everything sad, every tear wiped away, it is becoming untrue. Every wrong will be eternally righted. Every tear will be wiped away forever. Everything sad will become untrue. Including this, verse 8, and he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth. A time is coming when God removes forever the reproach of his church, his people. Some of this is because God removes sin's deception. Much of the world's reproaches that fall upon the church are due to sin's deceit. The world just values the wrong things. Wrong is right, right is wrong. People naturally glory in what should bring them shame. And therefore they cast reproaches upon the church. But in the end, God will remove sin's power to deceive. And every eye will see and every knee will bow to the rightful king. All unjust reproaches will be seen for what they were all along. So, stick it out, ABC. Stick it out. Don't be cowered by the world's reproaches now. One day, everything will be seen in its true light. On that day, God will remove forever the reproaches that fall upon his people through sin's deception and the reproaches that fall upon his people through their own foolish sin. It's both. No doubt, some of the reproaches directed at the church are deserved because they are due to our own sin. In the 100 years of ABC, There has certainly been sin in the camp. Of course there has been. And reproaches that have been well-deserved 
we recognize that, and where necessary, we own it and we confess it. But we also own and confess that God will one day wipe us clean. He will remove all the reproaches of his people, both real and imagined, real and mistaken. There will be no reproach leveled around God's banquet table at anyone. Why? Because in Jesus, all reproaches have been eternally dealt with. Christ has removed them from us as far as the east is from the west. God says, I have cast them away from me. I've cast your every offense into the sea of my forgetfulness, and I will remember it no more. Sorrow would come. Tears would flow again if that were not so. Just imagine eternity. Always wondering, is Jesus remembering all the ways I betrayed him as he looks at me? As God looks at me, is he thinking about all my past sin and failures? God promises us, no. All reproaches removed. No. We will cross a threshold together in history, on the other side of which reproaches will be remembered no more. Offenses against one another, sin against one another as well, remembered no more. I will remove all reproaches from my people. That day is coming, church, but we do not yet live there. We do not live there yet. Now is the time of the world's reproach. Bear up. Bear up under it, church. Now is the season of our worldly sorrows. Weep, yes, but not like those who have no hope. You know how the story ends. You know that the victory meal is coming. So act like it now. And wait. Wait with hearts full of hope and faith. Because, verse 9, it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God for whom we have waited, that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. The reward for persevering in faith, in hope, in love is coming one day, church. It is coming. Wait for it. Wait for it. Behold, this is our God for whom we have waited that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. What's one, what's on the other side of waiting for us? What's on the other side of waiting? It is joy. Joy. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Alberta Baptist Church has known 100 years of waiting. A short time, really. It's a short time. But while we are waiting, let us keep sowing. Sowing the seeds of God's kingdom because a harvest is coming. A harvest is coming. We know that a harvest is coming because a harvest meal is coming. A time of reaping is coming. 
A harvest meal is coming. Let us work now to make that meal more crowded. Let's work hard for the next 100 years to make sure more of Alberta City has a seat at that banquet table. It will certainly be a meal that we will never, ever forget. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would stamp the truth of Isaiah 25 upon our hearts. Lord, may our faith be refreshed and emboldened today to look at a future that is glorious, to look at a victory meal that is coming. May we persevere now through reproaches, through suffering, through hard things. May we work hard now knowing rest and peace and joy and fellowship are just around the corner. We are but one mile away from inheriting the universe as our possession. May we live like it now and not fret to let goods and kindred go. Not fret to lay our lives down, to pour ourselves out for the Lord Jesus in his service, knowing a banquet is coming. When the veil will be removed, death will be swallowed up, and we will see your face. Lord, stamp all these truths upon our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.